0: You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvice.com. All right, today's episode, super pumped, super pumped. Why? Because we have a guest who is insanely inspiring. I mean, this guy has. Well, I'll tell you right now, he climbed Mount Everest twice. He did a solo trek, the longest one, solo across Antarctica. He wrote a whole book about it called The 12 Hour Walk. And he's broken up to 10 world records. I mean, is that not just insane? So you might be thinking wait, why is Tripp having this person on the podcast? What does this have to do with meeting women? Some guy who broke some world records. It sounds interesting, but I'm listening to How to Talk to Girls. Well, you have to understand that it's not just about the things that you say to a woman, but it's also about how you present yourself. It's about how you feel about yourself. It's about how you look at confidence and self esteem. These things are super important. You have to be a person who is. Feeling deserving and worthy of a woman because they like themselves. So, this episode is directly related to women and attraction because it all has to do with how one views themselves. And we get some really, really good snippets from Colin O'Brady. And Colin, like I said, has 10 world records, and he's here today to talk about his journey where he made the solo trek across Antarctica. So for the first part of the interview, we're going to be talking about just doing things that are extremely mentally challenging. And then, of course, just because I think this is interesting to me, at least, and I'm sure it's going to be interesting to you. I had to dive in and just ask him just the logistics of like, how did you do this on a logistical level and also on a mental level? So how did he do this crazy trek? And what's cool is he goes into detail about why he thinks doing a very long walk solo without having any phones or any connection to the outside world as sort of a meditative process is so important for the mind, the body, and the soul. So I know that this is going to help you. I know this is going to also entertain you and just give you a dose of what it looks like to undergo one of the most challenging things that a human can do. Man, it was honestly one of my favorite interviews, probably this year. And I'm not just saying that. This this year I've done a handful of interviews and this one was, I mean, it just went by so fast. I was like, wow, I can't believe we're already at time. Like that was the fastest interview I've ever done because I was just locked into what he was saying. And I think that you are too. So you're really gonna enjoy it. Now I know that confidence Self-esteem is not always enough that you do need to know what to say. You do need to know how attraction works. So I do have a program called Hooked. I will say this. Hooked, if you already have it, if you haven't been in the members area in a while and you have the video course, it is now updated. So Hooked 2.0 is live right now and you can go check it out. If you're listening and you don't know what Hooked is, it's my Eight to ten hour video course that teaches you everything about how attraction works, how to meet women, gives you scripts for meeting women, teaches you how to get phone numbers, teaches you how to be your most attractive self inside and outside. It's a very comprehensive course that has been helping guys all over the world. So get your hands on it today at getherhooked.com. Check it out. You also get a free trial into my Irresistible Academy program, which is a monthly program that gives you new information on all aspects of a man's life to make him more attractive. Talking about things like productivity, fitness, style. We talk about dealing with psychological issues. Talk about advanced conversation techniques, advanced attraction techniques. Again, I'm talking about Irresistible Academy, a free trial that you'll get when you get the Hooked program. Go to getherhooked.com now to learn more about it and get your hands on it. It is fully updated and it is a program that just works and it gets you more dates as long as you're going through it and using all the material. All right, now let's learn about some of the inner qualities, meaning your confidence, your self-esteem, and how to do things that are extremely challenging to the mind, the body, and the soul. Here's my interview with Colin O'Brady. Hey, Colin. How you doing, man? Good, man. It's great to be here with you. I'm genuinely excited. I mean, I wouldn't have anyone on the podcast I wasn't excited about, but I'm very excited to talk to you and just hear about your journey, your story, I'm, uh, I guess, uh, an empowerment junkie or someone <laughs> just who just loves getting inspired. And you have done some crazy stuff that we're about to go into. So I just appreciate you being here and sharing everything that you've you've done and just hearing what it's all about. Yeah, man, it's great, great, great to be here. Let's get into it. Cool, awesome. So why don't you start off and just tell us generally who you are and kind of what you do and then maybe you can tell us the story of of what you did that was so crazy.
1: Yeah, there, there's there's quite a few stories. Uh, let's see. How do I, I sum, sum that up a little bit? So um, Colin O'Brady, I uh, have 10 world records, uh, mostly in the world of adventure and wow. endurance. So I was the first person in history to cross Antarctica solo. So I pulled a 375 pound sled a thousand miles by myself across Antarctica, something no one in history had ever done before. I also have rowed a boat across Drake Passage something no one had done before probably for good reason which is uh, from that's from the southern tip of South America to Antarctica so for the 40-foot swells the most dangerous ocean crossing in the world in a rowboat no motor no no a sail nothing just uh, me and a couple guys in a tiny little open hole rowboat uh, I've climbed Everest twice I- including uh, reaching the summit with my wife so uh, you know I know this is about relationships I'll tell you what the, the high stakes environment is standing on the top of the World, that was amazing. But uh, there's some vulnerability and some intense moments uh, navigate in our relationship to make it up that high. But yeah, other than that, you know, I, uh, I've I've started and sold uh, some businesses as an entrepreneur. I have a New York Times bestselling book, The Impossible First, and about dropping my new book, The Twelve Hour Walk, right now, which I'm super excited to talk to people about today. Which is really, it's about mindset, right? Invest one day, conquer your mind, unlock your best life. We can we can talk all about that. But through the lens of adventure and how we can uh, unlock things in our minds, gain confidence, gain strength, uh, and really
0: be our best selves. Yeah. Uh, So (laughs) you must have something in your brain or maybe a lack of something in your brain that doesn't stop you from these incredible feats. I I, I just it's it's mind blowing (laughs) to me that someone can do something like that so many times and break so many records.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, people ask me like, you know, what, what's it like? What were you thinking? There's plenty of times I'll say this. When I was crossing Antarctica solo, um, you know, I'll paint the picture for you. It's it's minus thirty, it's minus forty degrees, you know, every single day. Oh Most days God. I had about a 50, 60 mile per hour headwind blowing me in the face. So you get frostbite in a second or two with minus seventy, minus eighty degree wind chill. Dropped off all alone. There actually was this British Navy SEAL kind of guy who was also attempting at the same time. So it turned into this like head to head Crazy race, thousand miles across Antarctica, and what had never been way. done in history. And people had tried this. Someone had died attempting the same crossing a couple years prior to my attempt. That uh, we're doing it unsupported, which means no resupplies of food or fuel along the way. So I started out with a three hundred and seventy-five pound sled to try to carry enough food, calories, etc., which was still not enough. I was burning about ten thousand calories a day, and I could only fit about seven thousand calories uh, in my sled. You know. Tell us the stories about what it was like being out there. And I, I'm, I'm fortunate and grateful that I, I did make it across. I, I became the world's first person to set this um, set this world record and, and do this crossing. But I, there were also moments, you said about my mindset, there was low moments, right? There were moments of fear. There was moments of doubt, having to overcome those things. And there even was one moment when I called my wife from a sat phone and I said to her, I said, If I ever tell you that I want to do something like this again, please smack me in the face and convince me that it's a worse idea. Ever like day thirty five, I'm starving. My ribs are sticking out. My hips are sticking out. I'm exhausted. I'm alone. I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, you know, uh, convincing you that this is a good idea. Um, so there are there are times when I uh, I I doubt myself as well. But in the end, it's been you know deeply fulfilling, and I'm I'm really proud of the adventures. And ultimately, the adventures themselves have unlocked you know pieces of my mind. The the mindset before the mindset after is even stronger. And I, I love to ask people this question: Your listeners, anyone? Really you know, what's your Everest? You know, what's what's your big goal? As a kid, I dreamed of climbing Mount Everest, but I'm always curious, like, you know, what's your Everest? And I... I think that we all as human beings have these reservoirs of untapped potential to achieve extraordinary things. And I also believe that we can all paint a masterpiece with our life, but we want to paint on different canvas. My canvas just happens to be sort of the ends of the earth and and mountaintops. And I don't blame you if you don't want to go freeze your butt off in the middle of Antarctica by yourself. Like that's not for everyone, but that's a personal question. You know, what is your canvas? You know, what's the masterpiece you want to paint? What, what Everest do you want to climb? And I think too often, unfortunately we don't take the time in life to have that inflection point to to actually you know mark that in the sand say hey this is actually where i want to head and so therefore how can i get there how can i build towards that step at a time
0: Uh, amazing i mean you must at this point with 10 you said 10 guinness world book records yep yeah you must have unbreakable self-esteem that's for sure (laughs) like i mean you have just accomplished so much you like you said, so proud of yourself. Well, uh, it, what do your, your parents you think of you?
1: It's funny you say that. Is that there? There is there. You know, certainly confidence is gained over time. You know, yeah. whatever with some achievements. But I'll even say, day one in Antarctica. I start trying to pull my sled. I just announced to the New York Times, hey, I'm gonna do this thing. There's a big article about me, a bunch of press and media, like I'm doing this thing. And you know, I say that with confidence. Of course, I wouldn't have been out there if I didn't think I could somehow pull it off. Although I called my project the impossible first because I thought it might actually be impossible. Day one, literally hour one, I can't pull my sled. Like I just straight up can't pull my sled, it's too heavy. And I'm like, Ugh! I can pull it 10 feet and I stop. 10 feet more, yeah. I stop. And this other guy, there was a guy, like I said, this British, badass British military guy named Captain Lewis Rudd. He was starting the crossing at the same time. And he's kicking my ass. Like he just disappears over the horizon like he's gone. And I'm so defeated. You're saying, oh, I must be so confident. Well, actually what happened on day one of Antarctica is I started crying. I started bawling, crying all alone. But what happens when it's minus 40 degrees outside and you start crying? Well, the the tears, they actually freeze to your face. Talk about like the most all time pathetic feeling of all of absolute all. And I, uh, You know, I I get into my tent that night. I'm like, wow, I I thought I might fail out here, but like I failed on like day one. Like the dude's already kicking my ass. I, you know, can't pull my sled. I just told everyone in the world, oh, I'm going to do this thing a thousand miles. And like, I'm one mile into the journey. And I'm like, just completely, you know, what happened exactly. So in your, your one mile in what. What was happening? My sled was so heavy. I mean, because I was trying to have as much food as I could with me, even though it was going to be nowhere near enough to sustain, you know, full, I was burning 10,000 calories a day, but I was only eating 7,000. So even on day one, I'm on a 3000 calorie deficit, which is why no one had ever done this thing. It's called unsupported. So, People have crossed where, like, you know, a plane would drop off some more food and supplies along the way, and you can keep going. But to be able to, like, basically do it without any sort of help, out sort of help, is a completely different thing. It kind of harkens back to the, you know, hundred years ago that the true explorers, right, that were doing this without, like, a, fl- a plane being able to fly over and be like, oh, here's some more food, here's some more, you know, because that obviously wasn't an option. It's like the most kind of pure form of travel, and then human power, no kites, no dogs, nothing, you no know, motor, none of this to propel you, just like mono, mono out there. So, anyways. I wake up in my tent the following morning, first morning in Antarctica after this like defeating, crushing first day. And well, I joke around, I say, well, who was in the tent with me? Like, obviously I was actually alone, but I was like sitting in that tent with like the five worst versions of myself yelling at myself, Colin, you're such a, you're such an idiot. You're so embarrassing. Like, look at you. You're such a failure. Like you suck, man. You can't even pull your sled like one day. Like, you know, it's just like, and I think this harkens back to, you know, some of the stuff I know you guys talk about, which is confidence, right? And the the thing is, is like we're our own worst critic. Like we can beat ourselves. We can be so hard on ourselves in our own mind. Something that has helped me kind of shift that mindset in these dark moments is I love this phrase. We are the stories that we tell ourselves. We are the stories that we tell ourselves. In this moment in Antarctica alone, I'm telling myself like the worst freaking version of the story about myself. Like I just suck, So I actually stand up because I'm trying to cut through the negativity and the noise. And I yell at the top of my lungs. I yell, Colin, you are strong. You are capable you are strong. You are capable. Just trying to get like a mantra of positivity, like going. And it's not like that switched everything. And it was so easy to pull my sled the next day. There was plenty more frozen tears over the next 54 days alone and thousand miles that I crossed. But it's something I'm passionate about. And in this new book, the 12 hour walk is really about this. It's about conquering our own minds. It's about, you know, I I excite the reader and it's interesting. It's a fun read through the lens of adventure, but it is through an accessible lens of saying, hey. Myself, even with 10 world records and things I have, like I struggle with limiting beliefs and there's 10 chapters. They're quick, fun to read chapters, but they're all about the 10 most common limiting beliefs and not being like, Hey man, I don't have any of these limiting beliefs. Like, Hey, I have these too. you know, the limiting belief of, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. What if people criticize me? I'm afraid to fail. You Mm -hmm. know, I, I don't like being uncomfortable. You know, you know, these things that we've all had this loop in our brain, but also showing and teaching how we can conquer our own mind and unlock our best life in that and and capture what I call a possible mindset. This mindset that I think that we have the ability to all tap into This this empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. In the book, The 12-Hour Walk, there's an invitation and exercise for you to do, but at its core, it's saying, hey, in one day I have this prescription that you can shift your mindset and come out more confident, more strong than you've ever been before and really unlock the ripple effects of positivity towards your best life. So Cool. Can you share it with us? Yeah, absolutely. So the prescription, so to speak, and the reason it is called the 12 hour walk, um, I'll give, i give a little bit of an origin story. So I cross Antarctica and this is perfect because you, you, you loop this in with saying, oh, wow, you must just be so confident, you know? And at the end of Antarctica, I'll be honest, I, I was riding pretty high, not like a, you know, chest pounding, like I'm so awesome high, but just like internally, like I had found some depths of my core out there and it had been so hard. My body was so beat up and my normal day of walking every day I was out there was 12 hours pulling my sled. And that got me to the end of the continent, like on my last bite of food. So if I had walked one hour less per day or whatever, I never would have made it. And as I got to the end and I, ultimately passed Captain Lou and got there first what I was found was was this deep connection of love I write this whole piece about what I call infinite love I, even though being so alone I actually felt more connected to my wife and my family and my community even though like any literally I was in a physically alone all this gratitude kind of started pouring out of me. And I found this place, this flow state in my mind, my body started getting weaker and weaker, but strangely enough, my mind got stronger and stronger and stronger out there every single day in the silence and the solitude. And as I kept, you know, moving forward, you know, as I got back and a lot of media attention and press and interviews and all these various things, I was like, Oh, I've got to figure it out. Like I've got this strong mindset now. It's awesome. And I did some other expeditions like that rowing project and and, and wrote a, a previous book that was a New York Times bestseller. Like things were going well for me in my life. And then just like the rest of us, March of 2020 hits COVID, right? Like, like world just implodes. So much sadness, understandable. And people are sick. People are dying, you know, I'm, you know, reading news articles every day. I'm trapped in my house. My wife and I were... Um, at our house uh, in the Oregon coast small little cabin there just our dog and my my wife you know days and days weeks and weeks going by and not seeing anyone i think we all remember like this moment right it was just a scary weird moment a couple years ago and in that I reverted back to just fear, anxiety, depression, feeling stuck, feeling lost in my own life. My wife looked at me one day, I hadn't got out of my pajamas for like three days in a row. I'm like sitting there on the couch, just like scrolling the news, like reading another article, another article about like, you know, all this horrible stuff. It's happening, these lockdowns. And I'm kind of like, man, I got to shake loose of this funk. And so I kind of think back, well, when was the last time I felt like really calm and confident in my own body and soul? And I thought, You know, strangely enough, it was actually when I was walking across Antarctica 12 hours a day, even though it was so hard. And so I said to my wife, I said, hey, you know, she knows I do all sorts of ridiculous shit. And she obviously was like, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go for a walk all day long, 12 hours. Like, don't worry about me. I'll be back around dinner or whatever. And she was like, yeah, right. Have fun. You know, one of the few activities you can do during a lockdown, right? Go outside and be by yourself. Um, Yeah. You know, and so... I did that. I walked out my front door and about 20 minutes in my phone buzzes in my pocket and I pulled my phone out of my pocket instinctively. Someone's texting me or whatever. I'm going to text them back. And I'm like, wait a second. I've been like staring at my social media. I've been texting friends. I've been zooming with my mom and my family because I can't see in a person. I've been scrolling the news like I don't need my phone right now. And so I put my phone on airplane mode. I put my phone on airplane mode and I go for this walk all day long around the Oregon coast. And when I get back home, I walk back in the front door. My wife looks at me. And before I even say anything, she goes, you're back. And I'm thinking, she's thinking like, yeah, I'm back. Like it's, I told you I was going to come back tonight, you know? And she's like, no, no, no. Like you're back. I can see it in your face. And I, sh- she could tell, and she was a hundred percent right. This calm had been restored inside of my body, my own kind of emotional equilibrium. And I said, it was a profound experience just to no podcast, no music, a phone on airplane mode, just like being alone in the stillness and silence and walking outside, but I'll be honest. I was like, okay, like I'm the guy who walked across Antarctica. This is just like something that, like you know, I like to walk far. That's my thing. Like whatever. But during COVID, as we all know, we all knew friends, family, colleagues, etc., who were struggling during this period of time. A lot of people were struggling, and so I started just saying to people, friends and family, like, "Hey, this might sound ridiculous, but I did this 12-hour walk thing in silence, and it really, really changed my mindset and perspective. Really it was an amazing reset for me. Before I knew it, all these people. Young, old, rich, poor people from different backgrounds were like, oh man, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. And people started doing this 12 hour walk and every single person came back dramatically, positively shifted, feeling better in their body and mind, working through problems they'd have going on in their head, feeling less stuck than they had before. And again, it wasn't like I called up my really athletic friends are all in great shape and said, go do this thing. Like people, it doesn't matter. The 12 hour walk, the prescription, the book, it doesn't matter if you walk for one mile or 50, it doesn't matter. My 77 year old mother-in-law, she did her 12 hour walk by walking one time around her block and then sitting on her front porch for an hour and then walking another time around her block. But she maintained that stillness and silence of the brain. This is an exercise of the mind by getting the body moving a little bit. And so, anyways, you know, at its core, you know, this book is all about mindset, you know, limiting beliefs, et cetera. But at its core, like my goal is to inspire 10 million people to take the 12 hour walk. It's not like I don't get a dollar for every time someone does this. This is just something that I want to share with the world because I've seen the simplicity of taking a day in our noisy world when we're bombarded by our own thoughts, our own social media, emails, to do lists, et cetera, to say, hey, a day, not to vilify technology throughout the rest of your life, not to like become a monk afterwards, but just like this one day. 12 hours, the commitment to that silence, the stillness, the walking is exponentially positive. And this is out, out your front door. Like, I don't, It doesn't matter if you live in New York City, Manhattan, busy city. Your silence is just your own silence. Cars can drive past you. People can walk past you. But you're not engaging with that. You're not putting inputs in. You are maintaining your stillness and silence. And the, the impact is, although simple, has been incredibly, incredibly profound. I've seen this ripple effect of positivity, change, confidence, et cetera, that exudes from people that take the 12-hour walk. So I encourage anyone listening to, uh, it's to take amazing. The walk.
0: it sounds like an active meditation retreat. That's what, exactly. it, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, you know, totally. And
1: I've done meditation retreats and Vipassana silence ten day, you know, things like that. And like, I'm like, you call it whatever you want. Some people are into meditation. Some people aren't or the woo woo or they're spiritual. I mean, I'm down with all that kind of stuff, but some people, are, oh, that's not really my thing, whatever. It's like, this is a walk, man. Call it whatever you want. But hundred percent, this is a mindfulness. This is a mental exercise of strengthening that puts your body implicitly into this, into this flow, into this confidence, And and the the book really is an essential companion to walk through the steps of how you get there and prepare your body and mind for this. But it really meets you. This is not like, oh, and then train for this for a year and then do this. This is like, put this on your calendar next Saturday and you'll see how dramatically quickly um, your life can change.
0: Some of the things that I'm getting from this that I feel are immediately applicable to people who are listening is this idea of taking time to go outside and not have media distractions. Mm -hmm. So going outside, not having your phone and going for a walk and doing it alone. So you can be with yourself and you can just be with your thoughts. Or if you're taking it to like a super meditative level, try to not be thinking too much and just focusing (laughs) on the walk and breathing. But either way, I just feel like on a day to day basis, most people aren't doing this. They're not just doing even just, I don't even 10 minutes, like a 10 minute walk outside to breathe fresh air, to get away from the screens. Because let's be honest, when we're in our home, we have our computer, we have our phone, we have our TV, and we just get distracted by screens because it's become this dopamine addiction. So there's something to say about getting out and and also you're walking so you're doing something that's good for your body so now you're just doing something that's good for your body and for your mind on so many levels i bet you if people just decided to do that for even five minutes a day which probably most people don't they would feel incredible for sure yeah and then then this is kind of like the
1: you know shocking your body and mind and system to doing something big to committing something that's outside your comfort zone but then exactly being able to apply that moving forward with consistency right you know it's like you're not going to walk 12 hours every single day you can do that once twice you know in a year or something like that but then what does that consistent practice looks like i know i know this uh this whole podcast, of course, the name is, you know, how to talk to girls. And it's interesting because it, you know, in some way this this conversation maybe seems off topic or an off tangent from, you know, what you typically talk about, but I actually think there's, um, and I'm I'm honored that you had me on as a guest. There's a lot that applies, which is when talking about confidence or really being your best self or attracting a partner, attracting a mate, a lot of that you know, I've, I've been married for 15 years, been fortunate to have met my wife young and we've had, you know, our ups and downs like any relationship, but it's been wonderful. So
0: what was hard? What, what's harder, of the 15 year marriage or the 12 hour, <laughs> yeah, 12 right? hour
1: walk? It's the difference is they're both, they're both marathons. Uh, but,
0: uh, <laughs> That's good. They're both marathons. I like that.
1: But they're both deeply fulfilling. I'll say that as well. But there is something about, and I'm sure you guys talked about this a lot on this podcast. If like to be in the best relationship or to attract that mate or have that confidence, have that, it really is about how do you work on yourself first, right? It's not like, oh, what's this catchy pickup line, da, 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 like this. It's like, well, what's, what's the substance deeper than that? And I'll tell you right now, both, both men and women listening, but is this awareness of self, this introspection will allow you to have a more deep conversation, a more present conversation, a more connected conversation the next time you are on that first date or that second date. Or, you know, funny enough, a a funny byproduct of his 12-hour walk is I found it to be one hell of a conversation starter, you know, at a dinner party or something like that. Like, you know, you say to someone, it's like, oh, what'd you do last week? And you're like, Well, actually I turn off my phone and I walk for 12 hours. Like I've watched this happen numerous times. Other people don't even know it's like my idea. Like a friend of mine will say this at a dinner and like all of a sudden, like, you know, men, women, young, old, whoever eyes are on like, wait, you did what? Yeah, man. Like I just want to take a day to like really like work on myself and like, who was power. I'm like all of a sudden people like really curious and all this kind of stuff. So if you're looking for also a conversation starter with a first date or something like that, it shows, it's not just like uh, you know, you know, smoke and mirrors. It's a real thing. It's like, hey, like by doing this, by taking this action, hey, you have something interesting to talk about. But more so, what it actually implies is, I'm doing the work. I'm doing the work. You know, I'm doing the work to make myself the best version of myself. There's this, I think, this. Uh, I talk about this a little bit in the book, but like, there's this myth of self care being selfish. Like, if you're doing anything for yourself, well, you're not helping other people or you're not, you know, there for your family or this. It's like the opposite. It's like hey, like I want to show up as my best self in this world. And that's ultimately what you're doing when you're looking for a mate, when you're looking for partnership, right? You're trying to show up as your best self, mind, body, spirit, etc. And this 12-hour walk is an access point for that 100%,
0: 100%. Yeah. I mean, it, listen, at the end of the day, I know, yeah, the podcast is called How to Talk to Girls. But everything that you've already talked about and everything that you've done is 100% related because it is about conquering your fears, becoming your best self, building self-esteem, building confidence. And you better believe if you have those things in check, then you're going to become a more attractive person and you're going to have more availability of women to you that you can date and get into a relationship with or whatever. So it's all super important. Yeah. And especially on that kind of micro level, like, like we're talking about is that meditative state, just being more calm in the face of really hard times. Or, I mean, it's funny too, because we're so addicted to our technology that it's scary for us to be alone and not just on a 12 hour per day walk in Antarctica, but just, I mean, I mean, when you sit down and you close your eyes and you try to meditate for 10 minutes, that's hard. It's like, ah, you just want to think about things. You want to start to do other things. You want to grab a screen, you want to be done or maybe you go for that walk and you're just craving like, listen, I'm guilty. I've done these walks before, not 12 hours long, but you know, just long walks where I go outside and I don't take my phone. How many times I've went to check if my phone is there. Because, yep. you know, in my head, I I want to check something or whatever it is. And I have to go, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't have my phone. And literally 10 minutes later, <laughs> I go you to check get. my phone. Oh, literally, that's yeah. I, I, uh, right. Okay, I don't have my phone. And so the point is, is being able to be comfortable in some of these tough situations. And by God, it, it, it can all start with just going outside or just being alone in a room for just five or 10 minutes without checking a screen. Totally. And I think that, you
1: know, again, that's that's not to vilify technology, but to coexist with it, right? To be able to totally. to, but to have these resets, you know, and yes. I'm on social media and funny enough for the 12 hour walk to build this digital ecosystem. You know, I want you to sign up 12 hourwalkcom Come on the website, sign up. It's, it's a completely free, but it'll, I'll give you a few extra tips and tricks to, to follow along and follow through with this. There's even an app that I've created that basically puts your phone in airplane mode, but it allows you to track yourself. So you've got, you know, GPS that works in airplane mode, but you know, so you don't get lost or whatever that is. So there's there's advantages to that technology. But I think what you're saying is 100%. I've done that as well so many times. You keep looking in your pocket like, oh, where's my, you know, where's that phone? Because we're so patterned around that. You know, one of the things you also touched on a little bit, uh, that's that's something that I, I think a lot about in this context is, you know, I've... I started to think about life a little bit on a spectrum of what I call the, sort of the one in 10 scale, like one being our lowest, low moments, you know, hardships before I said all these world records, you know, going back in time for me, I was severely burned in a fire in Thailand, 25% of my body, my legs and feet. Doctors told me I would never walk again. Normally. No way. Um, what, you know, what happened? So I, I was jumping a flaming jump rope of all things, you know, trying to impress a girl. <laughs> Oh uh being a, being a silly dumb 22 year old kid you know just after college backpacking around i got super hurt i experienced some some significant setbacks that took me you know a year plus to recover from that and very fortunately my mother really instilled in me again that possible mindset of like this is horrible but we can move past this but when i say about that one in ten you know one these low moments and ten these high highs these peak moments right Whether that's an achievement oriented peak moment, you know, you you sell the company, you reach the summit of of the mountain, you cross Antarctica, whatever, or like, you know, more like relatable, you know, life experiences like falling in love or just being elated, dancing and having fun with your friends, surfing a wave, you know, skiing, beautiful pal, whatever that is, right, for you. Those are those 10 moments. And we all want those 10s, like we all crave those 10s. But what I've come to realize every time I've had a ten, when I really reflect on that, I take you know, we were talking about Antarctica, so I'll, I'll extend that metaphor, like getting to the other side and realizing I've accomplished something no one in history has ever done, deeply fulfilling. But it wasn't in spite of my ones; it was because of my ones. It was because I put myself in a situation that was outside of my comfort zone. That Because I cried those frozen tears, because I had some hardship along the way, it allowed me to experience the tens. And in our modern society, what I find too often is that People get stuck in this, what I call the zone of comfortable complacency, this four yeah. to six range. It's like, yeah, like I've got a job and like, you know, it's fine. It pays the bills, whatever. Like, I don't love it. I don't hate it. It's just like fine. But you spend most of your waking hours doing it like five, 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 four, five, you know, like every day or, you know, maybe for those who are in a relationship, hopefully people find deep fulfillment in relationships. We all have been around enough people like this where like they've been dating for a few years it's not toxic. It's not abusive. It's not like a bad relationship, but it's like fine. Like they're just like coexisting, cohabitating, like uh, fine, but they don't want to experience the one. They don't want to be alone for a second. You know, they don't want to take that risk. They don't want to quit the job. Right. And so they cause they're so afraid of feeling the two or the one or the momentary hardship. But what ends up happening, the byproduct of that is you also take the tens off the table. You don't actually allow yourself to feel the full tapestry of life. We're so afraid of failing, of rejection. I love to say winners lose the most. What I mean by that is the people that I've known to be the most successful have taken the most shots. They've gotten the most at bats. They've tried shit. And yet, guess what? When you try a lot of things, you fail a lot of times, but you also succeed. You find your flow. You find your tens, not in spite of the ones again, but because of them. And so this 12 hour walk is intentionally, like you said, it's hard to be alone in your thoughts in the modern world without your phone. Your feet might get tired after walking for so long, even if you take lots of breaks and, you know, bring food and stuff like that with you, which I definitely recommend. You're going to go through some, some hardships, but I've never known anybody to get back to their front door after the 12 hour walk and be like, God, that was a giant waste of time. I shouldn't have done that. They're like, Oh, that shook me up. I didn't live another five day. Another, just like, eh. imagine just think back of your last year. And this is true for me as well. Like there's dozens, if not hundreds of days in a year that you don't even remember what you did. Like you couldn't even yeah. tell me what'd you do last Tuesday? What'd you do? A month? You. I don't know, man. Like just another day. Like This 12-hour walk will imprint, it will be a true and meaningful life experience that allows you to, of course, you might feel some hardship, some discomfort, but that's okay. You can embrace those ones, embrace those twos, embrace that challenge because ultimately the fulfillment, the depth, the growth, the peace of mind, and as we bring it all the way back to how to talk to girls, the, the depth of your own personality and poise and confidence will be exponentially gained in value. So it's worth, you know, setting aside one more five day that you're not going to remember and putting this on your calendar
0: and taking this challenge on. 100%. So inspiring. This is great. I want to go back now to that time. How many days were you walking for in Antarctica? Fif- 54 days. Yeah. 54 days. Okay. Wow. Okay. So it was two months and each day was 12 hours or day less, someday more. Uh, pretty much a, every day
1: was was roughly 12 hours. That became like normal cadence because I started to realize that I was definitely going to run out of food. And I was actually on my last bite of food as I finished more or less. Like I had lost 35 wow. pounds. My ribs were sticking out. My hips were sticking out. My body was beat up. I mean, I was on like, it was like on the actual limit, limit of sort of starvation, human capacity. So 12 hours was uh, sort of the minimum stand. I thought that 10 was going to be my most. I thought I could never pull more than 10 actually. But I quickly realized that 12 was going to be what I needed to uh, do. And had I gone one hour less every, you know, it's funny, it compounds, right? You start on, you know, day 10. Oh, I'm just going to do 10. But you apply that forward 40 days. Like, oh, that starts to be, you know, 80 hours, which is, you know, 100 miles. of difference or whatever that is. You would never have made it. So,
0: yeah. Right. So how many miles was it total? It was just under a thousand
1: miles. Yeah. A thousand miles. Did you have a lifeline? So I had
0: a satellite phone with me. What if something went wrong? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I had a satellite phone with me. But what's interesting, you know, I was aware of this before I left, which is, I have a satellite phone so I could call and I would call home to my wife. She basically was the one person I talked to throughout this, um,
0: in terms of I would check how good was her. the reception?
1: Not great. It's not like, it's not like a normal, it's not like you're just like chit chatting and like you and I are doing right now. Like it's like yeah, st- delayed texting, and like, what's crackly. and yeah. static, Just enough to be like proof of life. Like, yeah, you're still out proof there alive, yeah. you know, that kind of a thing. And then there are, there's, you know, there's very few, you know, no one lives in Antarctica full time. There's only, you know, there's a large, huge continent. There's like a handful of people down there, you know, doing scientific research or whatnot, but there's like, you know, one guy with a plane that's, you know, kind of keeping awareness of me. But what's interesting is like some people were like, Oh, so you had a sat phone. So if something went wrong, you can immediately call this guy and he like comes pick you up. And it's like, that is not the the case at all. In fact, you're pretty much alone out there, meaning that. So there's a couple of factors. One is, If you're going to get yourself into a bad spot, it's mostly because there's a massive storm, which is like a lot of days, like 50, 60 mile per hour winds are common, full whiteout, like more than half my time I was in a full whiteout and planes can't fly in that weather, no matter how bad a crisis is. So like half of the days, like there's no one being able to fly around or land on the ice anyways because of visibility. The other half of the time, you're in these huge fields of either crevasses or what's called sastrugi, which is it's so windy in Antarctica that these are kind of like almost like moguls, like mounds of ice and snow appear. And so these pl- this one plane, it needs like a flatter section of ice to land on. And so you might call in like a distress signal like, oh, I, you know. I didn't have an extra tent with me and I would set it up every day in the wind. And every single day I was so afraid that this, this tent would actually like blow away. I, in my other book that I wrote a couple years ago called the impossible first, specifically about Antarctica. The opening scene is me actually accidentally letting go of my tent for a second. And it starts to blow away and I have to like dive and grab it. Cause that's literally like oh, my, my entire God. shelter. I mean, I almost died in like a, in an instant. And you call a guy, even if you have your sat phone in that moment, you call a guy and you're like, Hey, here's my GPS coordinates. He's like, cool. So it's a whiteout storm. That's going to last three more days. So that's the earliest I can this. And I'm looking on the map. You're in a crevasse field. So I could maybe park a hundred miles away from where you are. And now I'm calling him and it's minus 40 outside. I don't have a tent. Like by the time anyone gets, they're going to come recover my body. They're not going to like come like scoop me up. Like, you know, it's like an Uber service. Like, Oh yeah, just come and grab me. I'm having a bad day. yeah. Um, so there, there's a there's an intense vulnerability, and actually, a guy who, a very famous polar explorer, British guy named Henry Worsley, attempted the, a similar crossing a couple years before, and he made it 71 days in and was just 100 miles from the finish line, and he actually fell ill and ultimately died. Um, and so, the, you know, wow. the stakes were, the stakes were quite quite literally life and death.
0: Man. Okay. So the terrain of Antarctica. Well, first of all, okay, I have so many questions. How did you know where to go? You had some sort of a, a compass, direct, funny a enough. A comp- uh, GPS. Like what, kind of, super- what kind of what kind of what kind of compass, though? Just like. In-
1: Uh, Like it's funny. So, so two things, one GPS gets really weird during the South pole because all the degrees of latitude converge at the South pole. And so it's like, it's having a hard time figuring out which way is North. It's like jumping around, you know, like when you get the dot on your map and it's like, where are you? It's like, but imagine that like very heightened GPS doesn't work very well near the South pole. So I'm navigating with a compass. Obviously we all know compasses are magnetic and the magnetic South pole is actually slightly different than geographic South pole. So it's pulling you towards the magnetic and this is like, now we're in like the weeds here, but yes, which is like the compass needle, actually at the South pole gets dragged down because the magnetic field actually does something weird to it. So the compass is a special kind of compass that keeps the needle pointed upwards a little bit. That doesn't really matter. But the more, more interesting thing is, so it's 24 hours of daylight in Antarctica this time of year, 24 hours of full daylight, like high noon daylight, but the wind and the snow would blow around me constantly. Sometimes I couldn't see more than five feet in front of my face And the only way, imagine closing your eyes right now and walking down a dark hallway. Like what's going to happen? Like you're going to smack into the wall in like three steps because humans without visual cues like have an extremely hard time walking in a straight line. Now imagine the equivalent of that, but it's a white room for me instead of a dark room. I've got my eyes open, but like I can't see in any direction. If I didn't have a compass, man, like I would literally walk in full circle, circle after circle after circle, and you would have no idea that you would think you're walking in a straight line, but like you're not. And so I have this compass strapped to my chest. It's actually like on this little platform protruding from my chest and my neck is craned down sort of in a 90 degree position. And all I'm doing is staring at this compass and every step, if I take one step to the left and the compass needle moves, I'm like, Oh, put the compass needle back to where it goes, back to where it goes, back to where it goes. So a lot of these 12 hour days, and thankfully on your 12 hour walk, you don't have to do it like this. You can just walk around your town, your city out of your front door. But like I spent 12 hours in whiteouts with nothing, just literally staring at a compass needle, trying to keep it pointed in the right direction
0: oh my god okay
1: and how did you go to the bathroom (laughs) i love you asking that yeah it's good have have you gotten uh, that question before No, i have gotten it before and people are like i don't get it so in terms of uh, number one just turn out of the wind and try to take care of business as quickly as possible i did no permanent damage but there was one point i had a little metal small thermometer on my coat I talk about this in my first book, The Impossible First. And for one second, that metal touched the, the base, not not the head or anything like that, but the base of the man, manly parts down there. And it was like an instant uh, freeze, frostbite. Not again, no permanent damage, but just a just like a like, whoa shit, like you know, terrible, the worst thing in the world. So yeah, you gotta be very careful. Uh, like I said, thankfully no permanent damage. Um, and then I would this is a, this is not this is a little a little too much information probably, but in terms of uh, uh, taking shit I would actually what I do I would inside of my tent I had a vestibule on both sides so like there's the tent part but then there's like a a cover on that and there's snow on the ground does that make sense like there's it's like part snow on the ground but there's the external part of the tent and every morning I got my body in a super regular uh, rhythm and so I would basically shovel a hole inside my tent would be like minus 30 instead of like, you know, whatever minus 70 wind chill would we'll be out of the wind anyways. So before yeah, I nice pack up toasty. my tent, I would shovel a little hole in my vestibule and crouch down and take care of business, fill it back in with snow and, and go about my day. But when I was out there in the middle of the day with my, my clothes and my sled and pulling, like, there's no like, Oh, hold on. Let me just, you know, crouch down here and go to the bathroom. Like you're literally right. going to freeze your ass off. <laughs> right. And what were you eating that didn't get frozen? yeah, so I actually created these custom bars. I called them the column bars. So I probably could have come up with a better marketing name for them. I did a well, bunch of like, scientific bars. So yeah, I did a bunch of scientific research. Just on my body my biochemistry etc and the biggest thing because I was doing unsupported right was to try to figure out how to get the most calories in my sled for the least amount of weight you might know this not, not everyone knows this but fat um, is the most dense calories so fat per gram is nine calories per gram whereas like carbs and proteins are like three and four meaning so uh, it's actually more if you want more, more, more calories you want to take as much fat as you can with you now of course you can't just like bring a tub of coconut oil and eat that because your body can't process that uh, fully. And so I created these bars with sort of that in mind to figure out how to have the maximum nutrient density, maximum calories, but in the least amount of actual physical weight. And so I created these bars. Like I said, I was eating about 7,000 calories a day, burning about 10,000. And these bars, if you put them at uh, room temperature, like if I brought them in your kitchen, like right now they would actually melt because there was so much coconut oil and oils and fats, but it knew we knew it's going to be minus 30. So I'm literally walking around in a freezer and it was actually perfect. Cause I would put them in my coat pocket against my body throughout the day. They would warm up a little bit enough that I could bite into them. And then I, I would eat them in kind of one calorie or 100 calorie chunks. But it, people was like crazy. Like, Oh, you didn't bring all these different flavors and foods and like all this kind of stuff. Like I literally basically ate these bars the entire time because it was like the purest cleanest burning fuel in my body and i had to switch my mind to be like this is just fuel in the gas tank it gets me one step further one mile further and, and honestly i think it was actually one of the keys to success for sure so how many bars did you bring so that was uh, it that it was literally just
0: those bars no other yeah there was food. a few things i had like
1: some soup mixes and a few things kind of like warm food inside my tent but in the, the, the majority of the calories were that okay they were uh they were like the size of an iPhone ish, maybe a little fatter, but it kind of you can imagine sort of the dimensions of like a larger iPhone. And each one of those was 1,100 calories. Uh, so, you know, a lot of calories. Like, if, I, it was funny I, when I got back, I was on. Um, It was a couple years ago. I was on the Today Show right when I got back with uh, Hoda and Savannah, and they were like, "We heard about these column bars, and I brought one in for them to try." And like on the The show, they both they both tried them on the live on the live, you know, live on the Today Show. They're like, "Oh, these actually don't taste so bad." Tell me about the calories. I was like, "So what you just ate that bite there is like 200 calories." They like both like spit it out. They're like, "Oh, (laughs) you're like I don't want to eat 200 calories in a bite." So yeah, it was pretty funny, man. But uh, it was exactly what I needed, and and obviously I lost so. Much weight still out there. I mean, I was a bag. Of oh yeah, I'm sure. Air. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. So you must have then. Pu- you're probably pulling mostly water in terms of the weight
1: so actually right. no no
0: water oh wait um, of course wait there's water all
1: around you right so you have to melt this you, well, fuel so white gas for my stove that was the liquid so that wouldn't melt out there white gas for my stove and then okay. i spent many hours antarctica is actually a huge desert my body was exerting so much that you can get really dehydrated out there um yeah and so but yeah you're surrounded by water so basically the water is the ice and the snow but i would melt about six liters every single day and put them in these thermoses but yeah i wasn't if 54 days worth of water of course it would freeze instantly but if it even if it didn't it's like there, that would be thousands and thousands of pounds of weight um and so you're, yeah right. you're and i was like license. wait what are you
0: so yeah. what's so what's most of the weight then that you were the most weights the food the food and the fuel
1: um and then of course the you have to fuel. have some uh, safety essentials which is you know the tent and this but bro i like i had to keep it i mean 375 pounds i told you i could barely even pull it on the first day I brought extras of nothing like no extra tent, no extra, this a little bit of like a repair kit where I, you know, it's sewing materials and stuff like that. Something ripped, but I, I didn't change my clothes the entire time. I literally wore the exact same pair of underwear straight for 54 days, which is nasty, obviously, but it's like, what are you going to do? Like bring. It, where do you where is this i bring 54 pairs of underwear well you can't do that okay we're going to change your underwear once a week like well what you know you're finally just like all right I and mean, also
0: how are you even going to change your underwear exactly it was just you easier to just decide like, for that you can't have your skin exposed for that long
1: <laughs> right so it's just he's it like well i put the clothes on the long underwear normal pair of underwear you know obviously my upper layers and that was it i was in that the entire time without changing wow and you were how was sleep Sleep was tough. I mean, I was so tired because of physical exertion, obviously, but the wind would be howling. And so it'd be like, sound like a freight train outside, like, like the rattling of my tent poles and stuff. And then it's 24 hours of daylight. So like if you walk outside of your tent at 3 a.m. on your watch, it still looks like it's high noon. Like it never changes, basically. Um, that yeah. time of year it's deep in the Southern Hemisphere, right? And then, so that's that just plays a really bizarre trick on your mind. Um, there's no night. And so you're obviously had like an eye mask on and I would just be like, okay, just kind of tell your brain it's time right. to go to sleep now. But like, you're, you know, we're so used to this circadian rhythms of night and day and long shadows and sunrise and sunset. And there's none of that, which is a, right. a very bizarre piece of it for sure. Wow.
0: Just crazy. I mean, I, I probably have a million other questions because <laughs> I'm just so curious about how you made it all work. But I, I just have to say, you were talking to you is so inspiring you are, I, I mean, I think I had someone, gosh, I've, I've had almost 700 episodes, so I'm like forgetting. I'm pretty sure I had someone who climbed Everest, but this is, this is a whole other level. And the fact that you've already climbed Everest two times, <laughs> was that a cakewalk to the Antarctica trip?
1: Uh, it, it was different. Um, it carries its own stakes. You know, I've been up there when people have died. Uh, I've seen some pretty you know, gnarly things you've, up there as had, well. Like you've
0: seen people die?
1: Yes. I've been seeing some dead bodies on Everest before. Yeah. You've um, seen
0: the dead bodies. Okay.
1: But were, but, you, were uh, you with anyone who died? I know, but I was in Pakistan um, in 2000. I write about this uh, in more depth in the 12 hour walk. It's really a chapter about intuition. we won't go down this deep rabbit hole right now, but, I was trying to climb K2 in winter, which is the most dangerous mountain in the world second tallest mountain in the world, but more dangerous than Everest. And I was trying to climb it in winter, which no one had done before. I lost five of my friends in a pretty bad accident, um, up there, uh, a series of accidents, but, um, oh, yeah, so I, I've certainly had my fair share of, uh, of real hardship, um, in, in these places for sure. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to end on such a somber note, but you know, there's lessons to be learned in that as well. Um, and it was my intuition uh, in that accident that actually really saved my life. Um, there was just there's some kind of alchemy of the moment where I was like, somebody doesn't feel right here. And you know, it wasn't, you have to read the book to get all the details, makes more sense. But I decided to turn around. Um, and it's not really my personality. I'm kind of like the guy who pushes through, does hard sure. stuff, but there was something yeah. about that. Just literally, there's nothing externally necessarily going wrong. But I was like, on our summit push, I was like, I think I'm going to turn back and wish to everyone the well. Like, oh God, I can't wait to see the pictures of you guys on the summit. Um, yeah. And they
0: never came back, and and I, no. I survived. Oh my gosh. Um, so wow, it's interesting, that's interesting. Uh, interesting. That's really intense, man. Like you just gave me like chills. Yeah. So wow. like I said, there's intuition, a more more full description really of
1: that important. if uh, you pick up the yeah. book. But, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, there's, there, there's ups and downs throughout all of this. And like I said, you know, you're kind of rounding that out. It's like, I love these adventures. It's fun sharing these stories, but what's the most fun for me in this moment. And why I'm so excited about this new book and the skull movement the 12 hour walk. It's like using these stories to light up imagination. I'm a, pa- I'm passionate about stories, right. Not just my own, but I love hearing other people's stories. We all have these incredible stories from our lives in different contexts. Right. And I think that as humans, we have the ability to you know, as you do on your podcast, share information, share the people's stories, learn from one another. And rather than writing a book, that's just, Hey, I did these things and it was awesome. It's like, Hey, like I did these things, but I've struggled in my own mind. I've had setbacks. I've had ups and downs. It's not always from the adventures. It's from other parts of my life as well. But in a way that says like, But here's how I had some success with that. Here's how I overcame some obstacles, my own confidence, my own limiting beliefs, my own setbacks. And here's something that you can do. And so it's been amazing readers, you know, early readers of the book, people have taken the walk, how fun it is for me. Someone says like, bro, that Antarctica crossing, that was insane. Like what you were just saying, you know, I, I love that. You know, it's fun to get people excited about that. But then they're like, then they take it one step further and instead of the conversation ending there they're like and then I took the 12-hour walk man and like for me in my own life that led to this and I I met this person or I got this job that I always wanted and I walked in this place with confidence or that or whatever to see that actual you know uh, transmuting that sort of impact and that ripple effect throughout the world that that's what lights me up man I'm so excited so I hope everyone listening checks out the book you know sign up for the walk on the website 12hourwalk.com tell your friends tell your family and uh, you'll have like I said you'll least have one hell of a good story for your next first date to talk
0: about. Um, So, uh, you know, add add that to the list of reasons to do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I even hope this podcast episode is just something interesting for for people to talk about on their date. Dude, you are very inspiring. Uh, Amazing. It's so great that you chronicled all of it. Guys, check out the links in the show notes. Check out his book, The 12-Hour Walk. It's a New York Times bestseller, incredible Colin, super inspiring. Thank you so much, man, for being here and sharing your stories. And I hope that the guys listening take away something uh, more than just a little bit of entertainment, but something in their in their own lives that they can they can reproduce and and be able to just get some benefits from. So thanks, man. Any any last words? What's your I'm sure you probably get this question a lot. What's the next big thing? Are you gonna try to beat that? <laughs> I haven't, or are you kinda, I haven't are you done the next
1: I haven't announced the next big expedition yet, but uh, like I said, you know, I like to say, "What's your Everest?" You know, my Everest, my Everest was a climb Everest, so a childhood dream, you know. But I love to, even though you climb Everest, like, what's the next Everest? What's the next thing? And my really my focus right now, my next Everest is to inspire 10 million people to take this 12 hour walk. So hopefully, uh, hopefully, you're one of them, man. Hopefully, you're one of them. So awesome. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it's been great to be here
0: and uh, connect with you and your audience, and, and much love to you, my friend cool, man. Awesome. Good luck to you in the rest of your adventures. And I wish you the best. Thanks so much, Colin.